Philippians chapter 1, as we continue our study through this epistle to the church in Philippi. And let's begin once again by reading verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, the Bible says, beginning in verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So last week we finished verse 9. We began to look at the beginning of verse 10. But remember in verse 8, Paul was saying how he longed after this church. He wanted to be with them in the bowels of Jesus Christ. He, with the tender mercies of Christ, he wanted to be in their presence. And it was this love that he had for them that led him to pray for them the way that he does. And he prayed for all the churches. We see that in his letters. But uh, here he prays for them some specific things. And I would say this, that as believers, we will find ourselves praying for those we love. We, I would imagine everybody in here prays for their family. You love your family. You pray for your children and all those things. And, and you pray for those you love. So are you praying for your church? Because if you love your church, you'll be praying for it. And Paul prayed that their love would abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment. This knowledge spoken of here goes beyond just mere head knowledge of facts and doctrine. But this knowledge is talking about the knowledge we have in our walk with Christ. An intimate knowledge we have of knowing God. And you can be knowledgeable in all kinds of doctrines. You can be knowledgeable in all kinds of Bible facts. But it does not mean that you have a walk with God. And you can be lacking in your walk with God and yet know more than most people know about the Bible. The Christian life isn't about what you know, it's about who you know. And therefore, Paul, he's not praying for them to have a head knowledge, at least not here in the beginning, but he's praying that they would abound more and more in the knowledge of knowing and walking with God. But he also prays for them to abound more and more in judgment. This is the ability to perceive right and wrong. So we see that knowledge in doctrine, it's not excluded. So I don't say all those things I just said to say you can just discard doctrine. No, you still need doctrine. But it is found in its proper place. First faith, then virtue, and then you add knowledge. That's what we were covering last week. We need to know the judgment of God because we're all faced with difficult situations that we may not know best how to handle. What does God's Word say? Amen. Listen, we're all faced with things that go further than we thought we would ever be faced with. I can tell you just from raising kids. Amen. It's like I never thought we would have to deal with this or whatever the situation is. And we're faced with things that we never saw coming. We're faced with things that are greater than we are. And it's not something that we can just fix on our own. We have to know what God says on the matter. And so what does God say? What does His Word say about how you are currently living? What does God's Word say about the choices you're thinking about making? And we saw at the beginning of verse 10 last week 
that the reason knowledge and judgment is so important is so that we can approve those things which are excellent. We can test what is excellent. We, and, and listen, the, the point here there was we, don't want, we just don't want good, but we want God's best. And we have to do some testing in some things. We'll talk about that more tonight. So we're not in a quest to see how much we can get away with. You've heard it said before, but no one ever has come to a pastor and say, is it okay if I just sell out for God? You get the questions of, is it okay if I go to this movie? Is it okay if I listen to this? Is it okay if I watch it? And I always tell them, I'm not your Holy Spirit. Now, if there's a Bible verse that's black and white, I'll give it to you. But uh, the point is, people typically want to see how much they can get away with, not how much they can just sell out. So we, we want to we not just settle for good or mediocrity, but we want to have God's best in our life. And I'm so glad that I was told that good is the enemy of best. So don't just do what is mediocre. But what is God's best for your life? And listen, what God's best for your life, what it may be, it may not be what you want. And I say that because we, obviously if we're walking with God, our will is going to marry up with His will. But the truth is we still battle this flesh. And there are things that God may be calling us to something and it may not be what we want in our flesh. Uh, we may have envisioned a different career path or we, we may have envisioned uh, a different place to live or a different way to live or whatever. And yet we come to find out that's not what God had for me. And we have to be willing to submit ourselves to God's will in order that we might experience God's best. At one time in my life, I would have told you I never wanted to be a pastor. That's a fact. I just wanted to go out and preach. Not be responsible for what I said. <laughs> Amen. I had in my mind what I wanted to do with my life. And that would have been good. But it would not have been God's best. And so we have to learn to give ourselves to that. So do you want a so-so life? Do you want a good life? Or do you want God's best life? Do you want a so-so marriage? Do you want a good marriage? Or do you want God's marriage? Don't just settle for what's good, but get what's best from among the good. And it may be difficult to go in that direction, but if you'll learn to trust God's best, you will be blessed. Amen. And I can tell you that from experience. I can see now there's nothing else that I'd want to do. And so when you learn to give yourself to God's best, you'll find that He knows best. So do what is right, do what is best, according to knowledge and judgment. Now, before we move on here to the second half of verse 10. I want to go back and spend just a moment on what I only touched on last week here in the beginning half of verse 10 where we see this word approve. And I wanted to wait to get into this more deeply because of how it ties in with the second half of verse 10 and this word sincere. We see that there are two things that Paul prays for them. One is that ye may approve. and The other is that ye may be sincere. I mentioned last week that this word approve means to test, to examine. This word was used for the trial of metals in those days to see whether or not what was being advertised 
is what it is. Is this worth how much you're telling me this is worth? Two items. Is there a difference? What's the difference? When something was approved, it was proven to be more profitable. It was recognized as genuine after it was examined. And then it was deemed worthy. We need to examine things so that we know what is excellent or what is the best in contrast to that which is counterfeit. What is best in comparison to what is lacking? This may be good, but is it the best? Is it the most excellent? So we need to learn to approve what is valuable. We, we need to learn to prove what is of more value. Something may be worth something here, but is it worth as much as it is in God's sight, you see? And so we have to go beyond just kind of taking people's word at thing, but we have to test it. And we have to see whether those things are profitable according to God's word. And so we have to approve them. And we, when we apply this spiritually, we learn that there are many things which differ. But we need to be able to approve what is excellent from among the things that are different. And if you get a hold of this, I know this sounds elementary, but if you will get a hold of this, it will help you immensely in your Christian life. If you will understand what it is I'm trying to communicate to you tonight, this is going to be a huge help to you as you struggle perhaps with making decisions when it comes to the Christian life. For example, there are many Bibles to choose from. They differ from each other. As Curtis Hudson famously preached, things that are different are not the same. Do you want a good English Bible? Or do you want the best? Do you see how this principle can ricochet throughout your walk with God? And often we look at things and say, well, that's good. Listen, I can take a different version and I can lead people to Lord in that thing. But is it God's best? And, and as we think about that issue, and listen, don't worry, I'm not going to get super deep into this, okay? But as we think about this issue, there are two different manuscripts out there from which Bibles are being interpreted. I should say translated. And... If there's two different manuscripts, there must be a difference. Therefore, one may be good, and I would say it's not, but one may be good, but the other may be best. Don't settle for mediocrity. And so we look at this issue, we say, is it really that big of an issue? I believe it is. I believe very strongly that it is. You may hear different terms. There's the Antiochian text. There's the Alexandrian text. Um... You'll hear different things, but our King James Bible is taken from the Masoretic Hebrew text and the Texas Receptus for the New Testament or the Received Text. The others are not. There's a difference. And because there's a difference between the two things, we must learn to approve. We have to do some testing. We have to look at the issue and go, why are there so many different translations? And we have to learn to start testing these things. Which text? Which one's right? Which Bible's excellent? Isn't it sad we've gotten to this point? 
This Bible over here may seem good. Well, yeah, because when they sell it in the store and you flip it over and look at the verse comparisons, they use John 3.16. Well, nobody's going to molest that verse because we all know what it says. But you start looking at doctrines. Now you realize there are some differences. So how are you going to know? How are you going to know what's best? Well, you have to put them through the test. You have to deem one more excellent than the other. You have to figure it out for yourself. I mean, I mean I, I've given lessons on it. I have did a 16-week series on it, but I can't convince you of anything. Amen? It has to be the Holy Spirit. But I'll tell you this. I was raised on the King James Bible. It was the only one my daddy preached from. And honestly, it's all that I ever knew existed growing up. In fact, I used to get r- words wrong in spelling class because I would always spell them with O-U-R. <laughs> like honor and labor. They say, no, it's O-R. Well, not according to the King's English, amen. <laughs> I, I really didn't know that there were other versions out there until I married a woman whose heart was not right on the issue. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It wasn't until we got to Korea I didn't know her heart wasn't right. <laughs> but, and, and honestly, that kind of bummed me out because I thought, well, does she take me because I'm good? Not necessarily the best. We know that's not true. Well, all, all, right, all kidding aside, seriously. When we got to Korea, Adrian received a Bible from a family member. Um, she received an NIV, and it just so happened at the time we were, we were new to the Independent Baptist Church. We were both raised Southern Baptist, but both raised under the King James. And um, I heard the pastor begin to talk about this. And, I, and then I noticed my, my wife had a, a pink NIV Bible. That was a study Bible, amen. And, and so I, my interest got really perked is what I'm saying. And I was like, what? hold on, what? There's different Bible? What, wait a minute, your chapter goes from verse 36 to 38, or whatever it was there in Acts 8. It, it just skips an entire verse? Even the numbering skips? Well, I thought that was kind of cool because that's kind of a nod to the King James. But, but anyway, I, I got to studying this thing, and I thought, what's going on here? And I, I really was on a quest to know. I wanted to approve what was excellent. So I really started studying. I got really deep into this. I mean, this went on for a while for me, and I came to my conclusion. And, and listen, that was over 20 years ago, and I can tell you I'm even more convinced today than I was then. And this principle that I'm trying to relate to you, it goes for all areas of the Christian life. After Korea, we were confronted with the issue of standards. And once again, I had to approve things that are excellent. What is best? Not what is good, but what is best? Is it okay to preach in jeans and a t-shirt? Well, I could probably get away with it. Maybe not here. But I see plenty of people getting away with it. But is that God's best? So I decided to study and to test and to see what God's Word says. Why does God place such a heavy emphasis on the high priest having to dress a certain way? And I thought, maybe I ought to take it serious when I get in the pulpit. Now, I think that's within your budget. Listen, when I first started preaching, I had no money. I preached in jeans and a button-up with a tie. I mean, you you do the best you can. Amen? And, and I just became convinced I, I have to give God my best when I'm up here in the pulpit. 
Now, I wear my overalls outside the pulpit, amen? But it was one of those things I was confronted with, and I had to decide, do I want to impress the younger crowd by trying to show that my 40-year-old body can fit in skinny jeans? That's a certain body type, and I don't have it. You know what I'm thinking, but I can't say it. Yeah, well, I wonder why. Well, anyway, I, I don't have that body, amen? I, um, I mean, I make most things look good, but not skinny jeans. Look, not to mention, skinny jeans are the stupidest thing ever made, okay? Um, how about the area of music? What do we do there? Do we, do we just want what's good, or do we want God's best? Is it okay to sing a chorus 14 times in a row until the audience finally gets drummed up into some sort of emotional response? Well, I reckon you could get away with it. I see it happening, but is it best? Now, I, I personally believe it is God's best to sing hymns which are filled with doctrine. Amen. For me personally, I have approved that which is excellent. How about we get rid of the choir and just go to a praise band? Bring in a worship leader who can stand up here with a guitar and lead you in music while you just stand there. A couple of you might break your lighters out. Amen. <laughs> Or cell phones, whatever they do now. Wouldn't it be best if we could all just lift our voices up together and praise to God? Now, take these areas and approve which church is God's best for your family to attend. Do you just settle for a church that's okay? Do you attend a church where, they're, where they aren't sure which Bible version to use? And I say pick one, even if you don't agree with it. Pick something. Let there be one voice in the church. Do you attend a church where the standards reflect holiness or the music honors God? I mean, do you select a church that is excellent? A church which worships God or attempts to worship God in the beauty of holiness. I'm trying to tell you, go for that which is best. Approve that which is excellent. See what is out there, get the best. I don't want my family to experience mediocre church. But I want them in an excellent church. In hopes that when the day comes in their life, that they'll be tested with the same things that I just shared with you, and they will. The hope is that they'll choose what's best. So we need to be discriminating. Think about going through a metal detector at an airport. And you go through the thing, and it goes off because it's trying to pick up on something that maybe you can't take along your journey in life, your flight. And so you go through the metal detector, it goes off, and they begin to research a little bit closer, wanting to know, are you authorized to travel with this? Well, it's a Christian life. Is this something you ought to be traveling with? And as a Christian, we have to think critically about ourselves. Should I say that? Should I do that? Should I go there? Should I allow this in my home? Should I treat my spouse that way? Should I allow that friendship? Or maybe to kind of flip it around, should I be that judgmental? 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Prove all things. It's the same Greek word here for approve. 
Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. Same word. Try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. There's a lot of falsehood under the label Christian. That's what it's saying. Romans 2.18, And knowest His will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. Romans 12.2, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There's a testing that has to happen in your life. And you'll be confronted with those things. And many of you already have. And you've, you've had to go through the test. Should I allow this? The Bible, God's holy word, must be our guide for our approval process. What does God's word say is excellent? Because ultimately what causes us to detour away from what is excellent and settle for mediocrity is when we don't accomplish the second thing that Paul is praying for in this verse that ye may be sincere. Now this word for sincere, it goes right along with this word approve. The Greek word is helikrinus, something like that. Heli meaning the sun, krinus meaning to distinguish. Let's put that together, this word quite literally means to judge by sunlight. There were those who made quality pottery in those days, And Karen, I may need your help with this. I don't know. But there were those who made quality pottery in those days. And they took their time through the process. And the heating process was done at the right right speed, if you will. It wasn't rushed. And it was done in a way that what was produced was of high quality. Then there were those who didn't put items slowly through the process, the fire process, but they would rush things because they were interested in quantity over quality for commercial gain. And so in their attempt to rush things through, use inferior clays and make the process as fast as they could, the end product would have cracks in them and they would use paraffin wax to seal up those cracks so that you could not immediately tell that there were issues with this piece of pottery. So while you were in the marketplace shopping and you saw a piece of pottery that you wanted or you needed, you wanted to go to the market on a sunny day because you could take that piece of pottery and you could hold it up to the sunlight and it would reveal the cracks. And you could see where the wax had been added to conceal what was marred in the production process. And then, of course, you could haggle the price. Amen. So you would sun test it to see whether or not it was pure. We get our English word sincere from the Latin word sincerus, which means whole, pure, uninjured, unmixed. I've heard that the Latin word literally means without wax. Sin, sign, S-I-N-E, whatever that is. It means without and sira meaning wax. Sincerious, without wax. Because you have a quality item. You have something that it was made right. And we know that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Jesus is both the Word of God and the light. 
Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Ephesians 5.13 tells us, But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever thing doth make manifest is light. We can be sincere, or we can judge by the light of God's Word. Therefore, when we cease to approve things that are excellent, or when we begin to settle for mediocrity in the Christian life, we have not been holding those areas up to the light of God's Word. To see whether or not it's pure in the eyes of God. And in the light of God's Word, we are testing everything. To see of what sort it is. And if we're not using God's word as the sun, what are we using to test? Come on now, this is a very serious question. I know it seems like we're talking Christianity 101 here. But what is it you're using to test what is right and what's wrong? If God's word is not our ultimate test, then is it our own opinions? Is it our friends' opinions? Is it some church's opinion? Is it some other religious text? What becomes the basis of what we deem excellent if we're neglecting God's Word? Well, I can tell you this. You can't get light out of darkness. Therefore, you cannot rightly judge what is sincere without light. This is why the Word of God has been under attack since the Garden of Eden. Those things I mentioned earlier when we were talking about approving things that are excellent. They become compromised when we neglect to hold them up to the scrutiny of God's Word. How is it people are led away by every wind of doctrine being tossed to and fro? It's because God's Word is not the final authority in their life. How is it that people can leave the truth they were brought up in in favor of Mormonism? How is it that people can follow Jehovah's Witnesses? How is it that people can stay in the Catholic Church? How is it people can be okay with a female pastor? How is it that people can embrace a homosexual pastor? How is it people can add works to their salvation? How is it they add baptism to their salvation? How is it people can deny the virgin birth? How is it people can deny the thrice holy Godhead? How is it people can deny the reality of hell? How is it that people can be all law with no grace? And how is it some can have all this grace with no law? Why is the church landscape in America in such a mess today? It's because people have stopped viewing God's Word as the final authority in all matters of faith and practice. It's one of our Baptist distinctives. When we hold up false doctrines to the light of God's Word, we begin to see the cracks. And we begin to see that which has been patched up in order to make it look marketable to those who refuse to inspect it. And so somebody comes along and says, wouldn't it be great if you were married for all eternity with your wife? Yeah, that sounds pretty great. Well, come with us and join the Mormon church. And then you start getting into the other doctrines that are really damnable. Well, I could go on and on there, but some would think, boy, you sure are making a lot out of the Word of God. You place this much emphasis on God's Word? 
Say, no, I place all the emphasis on God's Word. For I know nothing apart from God's Word. I don't, I don't know what it means for Christ to come and die in my place if I didn't have a Word of God. I wouldn't know what church is supposed to look like. I wouldn't know those things without God's Word. How would we know about our Savior? How do we know what truth is? Well, it'd be whatever we deem is true. But that's dangerous. Because if we neglect God's Word, then we become like those who say things like, well, in my opinion. There's a time for that. Don't misunderstand me. The Apostle Paul gave some things that he says, this is my opinion. I'm talking about these fundamental doctrinal issues. So people come up with things like, well, I believe, or I think. But is that really the foundation you want to base your eternity on? I mean, do you really want to step out into eternity having died in this life, going into the unknown, if you will, with this idea of what you believe, what you feel, what you think? Or would you rather have something that God Almighty gave us and said, this is what truth is. Walk ye in it. I want to know what God says. He's the author, not me. By the way, man could never have written this. I mean, I'm not going to get into it tonight, but this is not the kind of religion man would have picked. So how do you know that's true? Look at what man's picking. But anyway, I want to know what God said. He purchased my salvation. He purchased the church. Therefore, what does He say about salvation? What does He say about church? What is right according to the one who created me? I, as the creature, don't get to say to the creator what he ought and ought not to be. So I go to God's word. Psalm 119.89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Matthew 24.35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, for all flesh is grass. And all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. This is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. And listen, we're, we're, warned, we're warned to never add to or ever take away from God's word. There are no cultural changes in our day which make us say that's no longer applicable. We can't say just because government has decided that marriage is no longer between one man and one woman that somehow the qualifications for a bishop have changed. It doesn't matter what the cultural norms are. What does God's Word say? We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. There are no new revelations. And when somebody comes along in your life and says, I got a new revelation from God, reject it. We got all that God wants us to have. Why is it so important to approve all things and be sincere? Well, the last part of verse 10 there says, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Well, the day of Christ, real quick, that's His return for His saints. Jesus will come back and He'll straighten all this mess out. Amen. What a day that will be. But until then, until the day of Jesus Christ, we need to strive to be without offense. Which means that we're not being led into sin, if you look at this Greek word. 
It means that we're not being constantly tripped up along the way. We're not stumbling all the time by what is insincere. And it means we're not hindering others as well. You see, when we are without offense, we are trying to live holy lives, pure lives. It is us trying to be unblameable in word and in deed. Meaning we have right doctrine, yes, but we have right lives that complement the right doctrine. That we are excellent and sincere. We have chosen God's best. We have tested. We have held it up to the light of God's Word. And we have said, this is the way, walk ye in it. And we said, okay, God, we're going to follow you the best we can. Without offense. And you won't have right lives in the sight of God without right doctrine. They are inseparable. If you're going to have a right life, you're going to have to have right doctrine. We find this proven to us when Jesus and the uh, Apostle Peter, they have a conversation over in Matthew 16. This is what it says there in verses 21 through 23. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. That's the doctrine that Jesus gave. He said, this is, this is the doctrine that's going to happen. This is the teaching. This is what needs to take place. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. I don't like your doctrine, Lord. That doesn't seem right from what I've learned. Everything I've learned says the Messiah is going to come in and set up the kingdom. Be it far from thee. But then Jesus turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Peter, I can't listen to you because you're trying to lead me into sin. You're trying to lead me into a path that's contrary to God's will. And what it is His Word says, the doctrines of what are laid out in the Old Testament. Peter's doctrine got sideways with God's doctrine. And our Lord rebuked him for it. In that particular area, Peter was not savoring the things of God. And he was choosing the opinions of man over the authoritative Word of God. And isn't that what we see happen? Man, you can show people book, chapter, verse. No, 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 that's not what it says. It's amazing. And so we need to be pure in doctrine and then live out that doctrine if we are going to try to be without offense. I believe God understands our frame. Amen. He knows we're but dust. He knows we're all growing while we live this life below. But He does expect us to strive for holiness. And as we learn to live according to God's Word without offense, we can experience, verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. So as we live out God's Word, we become filled with the fruits of righteousness. I don't want to get deep here. I just want to say this. This is the Spirit-filled life. You see, the Spirit-filled life is not some mysterious thing that's been complicated by the charismatics of our day. The Spirit-filled life is walking with God. Amen. It's agreeing with His Word. It's doing what His Word says. Being filled with righteousness. 
we are to walk in the light as He is in the light. Then we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Christ cleanseth us from all our sin. And it is this life of righteousness that will bring glory and praise to God. And this should be the aim of every child of God. This is it. For this is the will of God for your life. Even your sanctification. Isn't that what the Bible says? And don't miss that this righteousness comes from Christ. What a blessing. It's not up to my righteousness. It's not our goodness we want to elevate, but we want Christ to have the preeminence in all things. So, learn to approve things that are excellent and be sincere. Examine what is God's best for your life and then do it in order that God will get all the glory for your life which is hid in God, in Christ. Let's pray.